Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. Father, for your goodness and your mercy and your kindness, O oh Lord, that you brought us together once again in the middle of this work week to be present in your house, to be able to listen to your voice, to be able to worship you. Father, what a privilege, what an honor. Father, we never, ever, ever want to take this lightly because we know, Father, in every meeting, O oh Lord, eternity is hanging in the balance. And I pray, Father, that you would give each, each one of us the seriousness, quicken us in a, in a man, enable us to focus. Father, enable us to lay aside of this distraction even now. Many of us have come from work. I pray, Lord, that you would enable all of us to be still in your presence this evening. And grant us, Lord, your, hearing ears and willing hearts. Father, to be able to hear and to obey your voice this evening. To that end, I pray, Lord, you would anoint the speaking and the hearing of this word. Touch us, cleanse us, and challenge us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, some of the analogies that we use when we about the church. The two ways that you can look at the church. You can look at the church as a hospital where people come to get healed. And it is a hospital every week. Uh, you might be going through some uh, difficult situations and and you might have got injured in your soul or in your spirit and you come. And church is indeed a place where you get your healing. There is another way to look at the church. I mean, look at your Christian walk, just not the church, your Christian walk. Um, to look at it as a fitness center. There's a completely difference, complete difference between a hospital and a fitness center. Well, hospital might heal you, but fitness center will just keep you healthy. I'm just, I want to focus on that today, that aspect of our walk with the Lord. Because we've been um, going through this first month of this year and we've been exhorted through several sermons to, to stay focused. And to stay focused, you can't be ill. You have to be healthy first. And then you have to work on some things in our lives. We have to specifically two areas which I want to look at. So the title to this message is Focus on your, on, um, just a minute. Yeah. Focus on whose race? Your race, not your neighbor's. Okay, you can possibly help your neighbor in the process of helping yourself. So just focus on your race. Um, there's one part in, 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 in scripture where in 1st Corinthians chapter 9, if I'm right, where it says that many run, but only one gets the prize. Run that you may win. There he's not saying that you are in competition with your other brothers. The person you are really in competition with is yourself. Okay. The guy who's going to give you the biggest amount of problem in your life is a guy whom you see in the mirror when you get up in the morning. Okay. So that is the person you have to compete with. 
Because we have competing desires in our heart. Always trying to get attention, our attention. So focus on your race. And I want to look at one very familiar portion in scripture. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 onwards. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. What is that? And the sin, I like that, specific. Okay. Okay, this lay aside every weight and the sin, which so easily ensnares us, traps us. We'll look at that later on. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. You need to understand there's a very clear distinction between weight and sin. They are not the same. Every sin is a weight for sure. But every weight need not be a sin. What is a weight? It's other, other translations will use the word hindrance. Okay. Whatever slows you down, whatever grabs your time, your energy, your emotional energy, your intellectual energy, your your will, your which, whichever drains your time and which is not useful for your walk in the Lord. That is a weight and that need not necessarily be a sin. Yes, sometimes it could be caused because of a sin. So the first thing, if you go to a fitness center and you want to get fit, you know what? The first thing the guy does is says, he says something, sir, watch your weight. One of the things that my parents always keep telling me. Sweet mani. Okay. Watch your weight. Very important. Okay. It's very interesting that in, in the in the Old Testament pattern, there's this high priest, Eli, who's fat, whose eyes are gone blind. And he's so callous in his walk. He's a high priest. Think about it. He's a high priest. He's representing Christ. And he's so careless. And then once somebody comes and says that the Ark of the Covenant is gone, he just goes back and he dies. He becomes fat. Watch your weight this year. Many of us have to keep a track on our BMI, (laughs) body mass index. How do we watch our weight, therefore? Some of the things that we know is that there's a lot of baggage that we carry from our past. Extra weight from our past. Okay. The first thing, watch your weight. Watch the baggage of your past failure and guilt. Especially, we're still in the month of January. By the way, the word Janus, January comes from the word Janus. You know what? What is Janus? This has got two faces, by the way. What is the two face doing? One face is looking forward and one face is looking back. So you look back in January and you look at 2017 and you had, I don't know, many failures, I don't know. And in most, mostly you have few successes and many failures. If, if you're like me and if you're, 
special category, then maybe you have more successes than failures. But there's one thing that we don't want to do when we, we want to progress through this year is don't look at the failure and the guilt of the past. It will weigh you down big time and you will waste a lot of time. You will and you will lose focus. It's very interesting. God allows failure in our lives, by the way. I believe the most successful Christian is the guy who has failed the most. And I want to make this as a categorical statement. You know, it makes, it takes a lot of crushing. You know, especially when you come to the ministry. Okay. Lot of failures. It's not easy to be in the ministry. And sometimes young people have this romantic idea about ministry. It's lot of failure. Lot of crushing. It takes a lot of time to make a man of God. Is you, it's not like a nano plant where you put in the raw material and all the things come out of the assembly line. No, 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 no. There is a lot of crushing. There is a lot of breaking. There is a lot of humbling. And because we have this tendency to to easily let success get into our head. But having said that, sometimes failure, failures, failures of the past, don't carry that this year. And God might have ordained several failures in your life. Look at what it says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 31. This is Simon, Simon. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. The KJV translation says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. Oh boy. And he did have him. And then what happens? But what does Jesus say? Simon, but I have prayed for you, Simon. That your, what? Read that. Your faith should not fail. And when you return to me, strengthen your brothers. And you know the story of Simon, right? He is this guy who wanted to prove his loyalty to Jesus. Even at Gethsemane, he said, Lord, even if everybody fails, I will not fail. I will never forsake you. And then he takes a sword almost. I mean, he takes a sword and chops off the ear of that guy. He is showing off that, Lord, I'm with you. And then what happens? And you know the story. He denies Jesus three times. But it's interesting that God is a God who comes to restore It's remarkable. Simon has a purpose. God spoke into Simon's life and he said, Simon, when Simon said, Peter said, Lord, you are the son of God, the Messiah. You know what he said? Upon this rock, upon this revelation, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father which is in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And to you, I will give you the keys of heaven. That has been that has been spoken into his life. Thank God. God loves and gives leverage for failure in our lives. And what has what, what does Simon do? It's interesting the way God pursues Simon. Look at what it says through an angel. Um, in Mark's gospel, chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. This is when the resurrection happens. He tells those people who come to this is the angel who comes and tells the people who come to the grave. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. Do you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified? He's risen. He's not here. See the place where he laid him. Then. But go. Tell his disciples. And read the next part. 
and Peter. Wow. And Peter. Okay, Peter. Okay. Tell the disciples and Peter, he is going to go before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Where will you find him? You will find him going before you to Galilee. I remember Galilee, right? That is where Simon got his first catch of fish. Simon is so discouraged with his failure. Absolutely discouraged. And he says, this Christian life is not for me. I want to give up. So what does he do? In John's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 1 onwards. After these things, Jesus Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, then the sons of Zebedee. Okay, that is John and James. And the two others of his disciples were together. Simon said to them, I am going fishing. Fishers of men? No, 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 no. I want to go back to my old profession and that is fine. And then what happens? They said to him, we are also going with you. Okay. They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught Wow! More failure. I'll tell you something. Your perspective towards what happens in your life, and you, you can see it as failure, but I see it as success. Just imagine if Simon would have caught a big catch. He said, Baba, thank you Jesus. No, not thank you Jesus. Thank God. This is very successful. I'll go about it. He didn't catch he caught nothing. And let me tell you something. If you are a child of God and you failed him and you say, Lord, this is not for me and you run away, you know what happens? And you say, you know what? Let me find another profession and let me do it. You will go and you will catch nothing. Nothing. You will catch nothing. John's Gospel chapter 15 verse 5. I am the wine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing, Simon. Even your fishing ultimately. You know, Jesus has gone ahead of him by the way. He already fished nicely. Maybe he just emptied all the fish in the tank. I don't know. Okay. He already fished nicely. Went into the corner. He was watching Simon. I'm just imagining, okay. Simon and these fellows taking the boat and going into the middle of the waters and they have caught nothing. By this time, he made his breakfast, everything ready. Children! I like that word. Not friends. Children! Did you catch anything? And And the disciple whom Jesus loved said, it is the Lord. And Simon puts on his loincloth, jumps into the water and you know what happens. He's restored. You know the story. And this is the this is written in which gospel? John's gospel. You know, Apostle John is a is the apostle of love. Okay. He says if the way he refers himself uh, refers to himself in the gospel according to John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. There's a story about John the Apostle. It's found in um, some of the church history. It's not there in scripture. John the apostle, of the senior most apostle who outlived all the other apostles, every apostle was martyred or, di- or they died and this guy lived a long time. 
And during this course of one of his mission trips, he comes across this young charismatic guy. Very, very young guy. Very charismatic. Very um, uh, gifted guy. And he, young guy, and he gives him the gospel. He takes him under his wing and he's training him. But suddenly what happens? John is called uh, to another place for ministry. So he goes to the local church and he tells the bishop over there. He says, take this guy, teach him. And after you have taught him, baptize him. The bishop says, okay. And then John leaves that place and after several months, he comes back to that place and he goes straight to the bishop. He remembers that the, uh, that guy and he goes to the bishop and he says, bishop, please return the deposit that I entrusted into your hands. And the bishop is completely shocked and he says, what deposit, what money did he give him? And he said, what deposit are you talking about? Remember that guy that I entrusted into your hands? Please, can you Return that boy to me. And the bishop looks at John and he says, but that man is dead. What? He's dead? Oh, no, no, no. He's not dead that way. He's dead to God. And John says, what happened? Well, after you left, he got into bad company. Guys, he got into a company of robbers. And now he's become a thief and because of his real charismatic gifted nature, he has become the chief of all robbers and he has become a violent gang and they are in the mountains. John is completely shocked. He's totally, totally shocked. He says, bring me a horse. He asked the bishop. The bishop says, what do you want to do? I want to go after this guy. What are you going to go after this guy? They're going to kill you. doesn't matter. John takes up his horse takes up the bishop's horse and goes to the mountains. And when he goes into the mountains, he voluntarily gets caught. The robbers catch him. and They bind him. And they take him to the chief of the robbers. And this guy sees John. And the moment he sees John, this guy who is the chief of the robbers, runs for his life, tears in his eyes, turns and starts running. And this is what John says. Look at what he says. Fair son, why do you flee from your father? Why do you flee from an own old unarmed man? Have pity on yourself. Have no fear. For you can still have hope of life. Fair son, stay. Ah, I love that. And that man, he looks at John and he starts sweeping. This is church history, okay. John takes him and praises him. You know, I'm not not, look, I'm not just not, not looking at the boy, okay, that boy. I'm looking at John. Remember when he goes to Samaria? Samaritans don't allow him. He says, Lord, get fire down from heaven. Please consume them. What has happened to John now? You know, what has happened to him? He's become a father. And that is the reason why he says, I write to you, fathers. I write to you. I write to you. Because you have known him from the beginning. You know what the heart of God is? The heart of God is that every failure come back home. Is 2017 a year of failure for you? Thank God. And when you failed, did you try something else and you failed? Thank God you failed. Thank God if you would have succeeded in that, it would have confirmed you in your path of rebellion. And of running away from God. Fair son. I like that. Fair son. Why do you flee from your father? 
Why do you flee from your old man? Who's unarmed? I like that, no. Maybe this guy didn't have a father. And when he heard the word fair son, he just stopped in his track and he said, he's calling me his son. You know the story of the prodigal, but I thought this was even more fantastic. It's there on, uh, in the, in one of the, his, of, uh, of the church histories. Come back this year. Take away. And God says, you know what? Come to me all that ye are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Put your weight there of your sin. Confess your sins. Don't carry the guilt of the past. Jump back. Confess your sins. If you have failed, say, Lord, I have failed you, Lord. Come back to God this year. Don't carry the weight of failure and of guilt. It's going to weigh you down this year. We'll come to that later on. How do we ensure that this doesn't ensnare us? Why did God allow failure in your life? One of the reasons why God allows failure in our lives is that we will not trust in ourselves. You know, there's a very interesting verse in the Bible where Paul is telling the Corinthian church, he's writing to the Corinthians and he says, you know what, we were hard pressed on every side. Look at what he says in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 onwards. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure about strength. We were burdened, I don't know whatever that burden was. So that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not, what? Trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Ah, thank God for these promises. Don't trust in your own strength to follow this way of God. No way, it is impossible. You will fail. So what do you do? Very simple answer. Look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. That's what he told Nicodemus. Nicodemus, Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. You don't see the wind from where it comes and where it goes. That is exactly how a man who is born again of the spirit. I tell you of earthly things and you do not believe me. How can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things except the son of man be lifted up as Moses lifted up that servant? No one can enter into the kingdom of God. Look unto to that serpent. He has taken your sin. He's taken your guilt. Thank God for that. You don't understand how, what a wonderful, fantastic promise that is. Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 45. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For, what? I am God. There is no other. This is verse 22. And look at what it says in verse 24. It's a promise. He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come. You see that? Surely, where? In the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Doesn't matter what your sin is in 2017. Don't have to wallow in that guilt and shame. Don't carry that weight of past failure this year. Watch the weight of guilt. There's another weight. We call it head weight. What weight? Head weight. Very big problem. What we call as the baggage of success. 
This is what happened to Uzziah. Headweight came. How did headweight come? Second Corinthians Chronicles chapter 26 verse 15. This is Uzziah and he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide. You know, I like what Sindhar Krishnan keeps telling me. You know, he says, ask God for the blessing of obscurity. Let no, let no one know you before you are ready. <laughs> really? I mean, I take that as a fantastic preservative. Okay. Because in all of us, especially people who are driven. Okay. You know, right, Peter? We're all driven. You come and see our t- t- table tennis match. It's like we want to kill ourselves, kill each other. See, that, that is the reason why. You, you, this, this, this comes into our head. So what happens is fame spread abroad far and wide for he was marvelously, that's the reason he was marvel, marvelously helped. He didn't have it in his own strength. He was marvelously helped till he became strong. And then what happened? Then comes head weight. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar. You know, one of the re, one of the, one of the ways you know that success has gone into your head is you become too familiar with God and with the things of God. You start, you begin to hobnob with God. God becomes your buddy buddy. Because success has gone into your head. See? What has happened? Now he is becoming familiar with God. There is no sense of the fear and the awesomeness of God anymore in his heart. So Azariah the priest went in after him and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And David stood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. And I believe, you know what, if he would have responded with humility, you would have been saved. And thank God for people who confront you in your lives. Who will bring you to yours to halt and say, you know what, it's getting into your head. Observe yourself. Don't get too familiar with God. You know, Jesus was very, very, very of this. He knew that he was, he was God, yes, but he was God in the flesh and he would never allow headway to come into his own life and also into the life of his disciples because he knew, he knew their hearts very well. They all were looking for cabinet positions. One on the right, one on the left. Judas said, I'll be the, I, I, I can be the treasurer. Matthew said, I'll keep the accounts. Home, whatever. We're on on the left. They were all fighting for positions of authority and power. And then what happened? In Matthew chapter 14 verses 21 and 22, this, you know this very well, okay? This, this, this is very, very well known place. This is the feeding of the 5,000. An incredible miracle has happened. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men. Okay, 5,000 men, that means 5,000 families, men, besides women and children, 5,000 men were fed and what does he, immediately, Jesus, what did he do? He made his disciples to get into the boat. Another translation. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted, get into the boat and please go on to the other side. 
and he went to he goes to the mountain to pray why why did he insist that those people should take get themselves into the boat and get out of the place i'll tell you why you'll see a clue in john's gospel 6 where this is mentioned the same parable of the feeding of the 5000 look at what it says john's gospel chapter 6 therefore they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the fragments and five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten then those men who had seen the sign that jesus did this is truly the prophet who has come to the world and then what happens therefore when jesus perceived that they were about to make him as king forcibly ah the disciples are also watching he said come here you follow me come here come here come here come here get into the boat and get on to the other side otherwise this will get into your head i can see you i know your heart watch out for head weight saints no how do you know that success has not gone into your heads do you fear god more today in 2018 rather than in 2017 that in 2017 do you have more reverence do you have more understanding of your sin and the holiness of god you see that is how paul grew up in his walk with the lord you know when when he started he said i am the least of the apostles that means i am at least equal to the apostles and he progresses a little when that is when he is writing corinthians and he writes the ephesians he says you know what i am the least of the saints and then he comes to timothy at the end of his life and he says you know what i am the chief of all sinners from apostle to saint to sinner that is his appraisal about himself that is how we know that we don't take god you know become too familiar with god this year ask yourself lord let not success go into my head keep me humble lord keep preserve me protect me with people who will confront my pride Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 that is what Paul says I do not count myself to have achieved anything apprehended that's what it means but one thing I do forgetting those things my successes and my failures because everything has got has been wrought by God not by myself I press on I press on otherwise you know what people do when success comes they begin to build for themselves monuments ఏంది రచ్చబండ మీద నీ విగ్రహం తెలుసు కదా యు హ్యావ్ యువర్ స్టాట్యూ ఓకే దట్స్ ఎగ్జాక్ట్లీ వాట్ వన్ గైడెడ్ ఆఫ్టర్ హీ వాస్ సక్సెస్ఫుల్ ఇన్ హిస్ ఓన్ సైడ్ బట్ నాట్ ఇన్ సైడ్ ఆఫ్ గాడ్ గాడ్ సెన్స్ దిస్ ఫెలో దిస్ సాల్ సాల్ ఈ సెస్ గో అండ్ కిల్ ఆల్ దీస్ పీపుల్ దేర్ kill agag kill all those amalekites don't leave anybody the animals and everything you you find devote to destruction but what does paul saul do you know what he does does he obey no but does he get success apparently so so what does he do first samuel chapter 15 now the word of the lord came to samuel saying i greatly regret that i have set up saul as king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments this is the appraisal from heaven that is the reason why you know we tell in our church and it's quoted in psalms promotion does not come from the east or from the west from where does it come it comes from god let him give you the appraisal 
And it grieved Samuel and he cried all night. And the next day what has happened? He goes. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he has set up a monument for himself. You know, this funny thing about monuments, okay. I don't know if you've seen a very, I've seen a very, very old Telugu movie quite some time back. You know, this politician at the end of the movie, he's a very, very wicked politician. Somehow it turns good. At least the story says. And he does good and he dies. And once he dies, they put what? One monument. And something very interesting happens. One crow comes and does some droppings. I thought it was very interesting. What, how do people look at? I think it's not a crow, it's actually a dove, okay? Dove comes, dove, dove does some droppings. Nice white droppings on a black statue. Okay, and then, and then you know they start laughing. Then I, I I thought it was very interesting. You know, when I was reminded of that analogy, it's like this: no, men think you are great, and they set up a monument. You know what happens? One dove comes from heaven. He puts some droppings and goes. This is what he says. This is my vantage point from heaven. This is how I see it. Is it interesting? People create monuments for themselves. That's what happened to so many churches. They made monuments for Wesley, to Luther, to every other person. And they said, Baba, don't make monuments for us. This is exactly what happens to Paul and Barnabas, if I'm right. They come to this place. They said, Baba, this fellow is Zeus and this fellow is Apollyon. I don't know what, because he speaks well. Paul, they called him Zeus because he speaks well. You know what Paul does? He tears his clothes and he says, you know what? We are just men like you. Don't make us gods. Don't build monuments for ourselves. For us, please. Let's ask God this year that when we are successful, that we will go to our secret place of prayer and we'll weep. I remember my my mentor. No, I just always learn from these people's lives. You know, they, I, they, he preached so many sermons in our Bible study those days, but I don't remember many of his sermons. In fact, I don't remember most of his sermons. But we were ha- we were having a camp. You know, youth camp for our, for our university. And Shibu was, you know, was the main, he was not, he was not the main speaker, he was the only speaker. And, and we had this fantastic campus in Masuri. Okay. Beautiful campus of our, one of our ex-professors of Madi. So, uh, we were there and, uh, we were, he was, he was sharing the word and, you know, powerful people are getting convicted and we were having a fantastic time, fellowship, fellowshipping, and then we used to listen to the word and we used to sleep. Fall asleep. In, the, in one one room, we all of us slept, and Shibu used to sleep in the other room. I just got him once to go to the washroom, and I just passed by Shibu's room after the meeting was over, and I looked at Shibu and I saw him flat on his face. Okay, and he was started crying out, saying, "Lord, Lord, it's not me, Lord, it's not me, Lord, it's you, Lord." And I I didn't hear his. I mean, I didn't uh, let him know that I was there. Just crying out to God. He said, Lord, it's not me, Lord, it's you. I looked at him and said, boy, this man, awesome man of God. Never let success get into there, get into his head. You will not find Shibu, okay? He's absolutely conspicuous by his absence in places where, you know, people praise him. He will never be there. He's never there. It's remarkable. 
Don't build monuments for yourself. Ask God for that heart, okay? Because God knows our heart. Today we may not be very successful. Okay? But don't ever think that success will not get into your head one day if you indeed become successful. Head weight. Be careful about that. Watch out your weight, saints, this year. Let this be your attitude. Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he has told, what has been, what he has been told to do? Of course not! This is New Living Translation. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Okay? Keep that in your heart. This year. Watch your weight. First Peter chapter 5 verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. And that exaltation doesn't necessarily have to be in this life. Next life. Another one. What should I watch in my weight? Something else also I have to watch. I should also not watch my baggage of the failure of the past, neither the baggage of the success of the past. Even as I progress in my walk with the Lord, I should ensure that I don't accumulate what? Baggage. Okay? Let's not accumulate baggage. You'll understand that, no? I remember uh, Samir and Reni recently shifted their home from uh, the old place to the new place and they said, Pastor, we used to stay here for five years. So much of stuff we accumulated. That's exactly what happens to us also. We accumulate so much of unnecessary stuff in our homes and God has allowed us to get uh, shift our home at least seven times in the last ten years. So five times in the last ten years. Almost five times the last ten years. And you know what you do? Every time you shift, you throw off all your excess baggage. Don't accumulate excess baggage this year. But how does this excess baggage come? What is this excess baggage? Let us see. First Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 to 27. No, you're not. This is, I, I like the King James Version because it's beautiful. Uh, the words that are used. No, you're not. No, you're not. Don't you know? The day which run in a race, all run, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. Let me tell you something. If, have this attitude. Play to win. Don't play to participate. Like pastor says, there is no participation certificate. Play to win. Finish your race, in other words. What you have started, ask God for the grace to finish it. Okay? Otherwise, we have this famous saying in Telugu, especially for people from Andhra. Andhrudu, Arambhasurudu. Means he will start with great Noise. But will he complete it? No, no, no. This after a few days. It's gone. Okay. And <laughs> just understand that. Don't just begin races. Finish them and play to win. Ask God for that grace. Play to win. Don't give up in the middle. And run away from if, the, if then the going gets tough. Okay, so run that you may obtain. But how do you obtain? Look at what he says. And every man... That striveth for mastery. That's the reason why I like the KJV. Striving for what? Mastery. For excellence. You know the word in Greek is very interesting. Agonizmo. From which we get the word agonize. You see? 
Disciples will keep, keep, keep on asking these questions. Lord, will many be saved? What does Jesus say? Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Same thing. Agonize to enter through the narrow gate because many will seek to enter but only few. Strive. But what about these people who strive for mastery? What is the characteristic of those people? They are temperate in all things. Discretion. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run not as uncertainty, so I fight not as one beats the, that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it to subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Some other translations disqualified. This word beating my body, you know, this it says pummel my body and make it my slave. What is this? What is he talking about? There will be so much of unnecessary stuff which will not be needed when you walk with the Lord. It may not, may not look like sins. In 2018, 2018, so many people are asking for your attention and for your time and for your energy and for your money. Look at what Paul says in... Um, First uh, Corinthians chapter uh, 6 verse 12. He says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient or not necessary or beneficial. Other translations. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meaning he's saying, some things have got the capacity to make me their slave and I want to be wary of them. I want to be really wary of them. They may not, may not be looking like sins, but they are certainly weights. I don't want to accumulate that in my in, in, in my walk with the Lord in 2018. I don't know. And those, by, by the way, yeah, the way you you say, you know what, Vijay, I understand this thing about weights. Can you tell me what are those weights? Let me write down the list and let me get rid of them. I'll tell you something. What is weight for me need not be weight for you. And what is weight for you is not a weight for me. For some people, movie is not a weight. I can just watch it and say, ah, okay, it's relaxation and then you can forget about it. For me, it's a weight. Big time wait. Because I analyze every scene. Look at the sequence of thoughts. And I say this is non-linear storytelling. This is linear storytelling. Why? And what has happened? By the time I wasted one day, several hours. Because, you know why? Because movie is a wait for me. And it need not be wait for you. So for some people, music could be a relaxation. For some people, music could be wait. Some few, for, for some people, books are necessary. For some people, books are weight. You see? So we, weights depend upon the kind of person you are and what your specific weakness is. So, understand what your weaknesses are. They may not necessarily be, um, be, uh, sins, but what is taking off your time? Like pastor says, there is one specific goal. He was talking to me and Praveen the other a uh, few days back after the first day of after the after January first. Um, he said, uh, "You look at Paul. Paul had this ambition. I have to go to Spain. I have to go to other places and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel." He thought that was his primary focus. But God said, "You know what, Paul? That is not your primary focus. Your primary focus is to write the thirteen epistles. In order to achieve that, I will put you in prison. Otherwise, you'll keep running." You thought that was weight for you when all the chains are there, but that is not a weight. That is essential. Otherwise, you'll keep running here, there, left, right and center and forget about writing. And have you got the brains? 
Think about what if Paul wouldn't have written. Romans wouldn't have been there. Baba, we would not have Romans Bible study. I can't imagine life without no Romans Bible study. See? It's your primary function. Primary call. You're just completely gone out of that. That, that, I, I remember like when Pastor James told me, you know, when, when I came to the ministry, you know, like sister also used to tell, come, can you teach the children at GSS? Oh, that was a weight. I used to sit with Madam, where is that Madam? Here, yeah, there, there you go. I used to sit with her for 10 hours a day. You know what pastor called me that day and he said, you know Vijay, you didn't leave your full-time ministry to do tuitions. A full-time job to do, to do tuition. It is a weight. So many, is it sin? No, I was doing a fantastic, in fact I was enjoying myself. And pastor said, you're enjoying it too much. It's become a weight. See, weights are different for different people. What is your weight? I don't know. You know it. You, your, your, your uh, weight could be having friends. Having a shoulder to cry on is your weight. I, I keep hearing this. I'm not pointing to anybody. You know, I, I want a shoulder to cry on somebody. That's a weight. Because instead of spending time with the Lord, you waste your emotional energy pouring out your heart to a friend who can't save you. Who can at the most empathize with you or sometimes he will say, get irritated with you also. Are what is this one? I've got more problems than him. You see? What is your weight? Take care of your weight, saints. Why? Why is this important? Because sometimes it may not be a weight for you it could be a weight for somebody else. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not edify me nor other people. This is uh, another translation, NIV. It looks beautifully. It captures it beautifully. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. I remember a few years back, we used to, we used to have um, worship practice in Rishi's home in Shankar Enclave. Okay. And after the uh, worship practice was over, we used to sit around the table. And when boys come together to, to sit around the table, what will happen, Peter? Movies. Johan is there. Somebody else is there. All the young young children are there. And I started discussing Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. It's a ridiculously demonic movie. Don't watch it, okay? My goodness, why did I even say it? We started discussing it. And after that, you know, Rishi called me. He said, Anna, you started discussing Pulp Fiction. You know who's watching you? Johan is saying, the other young people are watching you. You know what? It may not affect you. But it will become a stumbling block for them. Watch your weights, saints. You know why? Because there is a, there's a so there's a new generation which is coming. Let it not be said about that generation. They grew up without knowing the God of their forefathers. 
So what should we do? Learn to say no. Seriously, ask God. Lord, if this is not beneficial, give me the grace to say no. It may look superb and a lot of good might come through it, but it is a weight. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 to 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us what? To say no. Okay, you say ungodliness, worldly passions and and to do what? To live self-controlled, what do you call temperate, discreet lives. To do things with discretion. Let this be the year of doing things with discretion. Things which will edify you, which will refresh you, and which will release you to the ministry so that you will be used of God more mightily. I know, Pastor made this fantastic statement. He said, you know, 2018 is a year of destiny for many of us. How many of you believe it? You don't have to show your hands, okay? If you really believe it, learn to say no. Okay, that's the weight part. So we'll have the other part. What is the other part? Let's look at the other part. Sin. I like the word, the definite article. The sin. Which so easily ensnares us. Now, let us look at several translations to get a a better picture of what he's trying to say over here, okay? Uh, This is the NIV. The sin that so easily entangles us. That is NIV. The sin that so easily trips us up. And everybody has a different sin, by the the way. You know it. You know it. I like this, the ESV. The sin which clings so closely to us. And this is the killer. The next one. This is the Aramaic study Bible. Sin which is always ready for us. (laughs) Is there? Is there, right there. Oh boy, you know, this is not sins. It is the sin. It's not that you commit sins. There's a fellow there. He's got a personality. I mean, that's what happens, right? In, uh, I think Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Wherefore, as through one man, who entered into the world? Sin entered into the world. Esarkomai, that's the word in Greek. Esarkomai, enter the dragon. Sin entered into the world. And who came along with sin? Death entered through sin. And death passed through all men, for all sinned. And then it goes on to say, after that, then the law entered. So that, what may abound? Sin may abound. You know, that's another word. It's called para esarkomai. What is para esarkomai? To come alongside of. Sin came along, along the, alongside law came to magnify your sin. That fellow is there. He's a, he's a force. He's right there next to you. Lurking in the shadows, if you will. Crouching tiger, hidden dragon. Genesis chapter 4 verse 7. This is talking to Cain. This is talking to Cain. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin Is there right there ready for you at the door? Is there right there ready for you at the door? And unto you shall be his desire. I like that word. His 
desire. He's got a personality. But you shall rule over him. Okay, so just keep that in mind. So what is my besetting sin? You know, to, you need to know your own specific besetting sin, by the way. And it's there, ready. You just put your guard down and it'll pounce on you. And if you're not on your guard. Look at what David prays in Psalm 18. This is David's Psalm, by the way. This is verses 23 and 24. I was also upright before him. And I kept myself from Ah, mine iniquity. It's my sin. That is the reason why it is your race, not somebody else's race. Okay? Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. Do you know you're besetting sin? And are you aware of it? Are you aware of it? Do you know it? Or are you just, by this time you should know. If you are in the church for, the, for the, such, such a long time, you should know what your besetting sin is. What is that sin who is already ready for you? Always ready for you. We have two definitions we know from our Bible studies. There is what we call a sin of, what is it? Commission and a sin of omission. See those, those definitions. 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. Everyone who sins break the law. In fact, look at this. I, I like this, no? Everyone sins. Sin. It's not plural, it's singular. Everyone who sins break the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. That is what we call as sin of commission. If anyone then knows the good that he ought to do and he doesn't do it, it is Sin, what we call as sin of omission. Now, let me tell you something, no? There is sin of commission, sin of omission, and your besetting sin. Okay. What happens when you do not do what you're supposed to do, which is what we call as committing the sin of omission, you automatically, in some cases, I think I believe so, you commit the sin of commission, and this is characterized in one person's life. Who's that person? Anybody? Any guesses? Yeah? Look at this. Second Samuel chapter 11 verses 1 to 2. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Job out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem, he was supposed to be at war, but he remained. What is that? Sin of omission. But what is there? Lurking behind. What happens? One evening, David got up from the bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And he saw. That's it. And you know the story. He saw a woman washing and the woman was beautiful. And something happened to him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, by the way, he wrote a book called Temptation. Okay, I was just came around across this book when I was listening to one of the sermons by Chuck Swindle. And I just looked it up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, beautiful book, very expensive on Kindle. <laughs> if you want to buy it, you can buy. The title is Temptation. This is what he has to say about 
temptation. Look at what he says. They take one offer. Just follow me carefully, okay? In our members, there is a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. I want to listen to this guy who is a martyr, okay? I want to listen to him, okay? Listen to him carefully. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery of the flesh. At once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it is a sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge, our love for fame and power or greed for money. It doesn't matter. He goes on to say, at this moment, God is quiet, unreal to us. And he says in brackets, remember these words. Remember these words. He says, you know what? God is unreal. And then he makes a fantastic statement. He says, he loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real anymore. No. The only reality is the devil. And look, look at what he says. Satan does not here fill us with hatred for God, but with forgetfulness of God. That's exactly what happened to David. David, do you hate God? No, you know, you love God, David. I know you love God. But at that very moment, the reality of the creature has overwhelmed. Suddenly consumed. It's lurking in the shadows. Very ready for you. Then he, this is what he says. He goes on to say, The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and the will of a man in deepest darkness. He's absolutely just consumed by that for a very, for that moment. And his will is taken captive. You know what it says in First um, Timothy chapter 2? He says, You've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. That's exactly what happens here. Hmm. Then what happens? Next, the powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. Isn't that not true with David? David inquires, who is this lady? Is that not Bathsheba? The wife of Uriah. Oh, Uriah, one of my, one of my loyal, mighty men. The Hittite? My mighty man. He's gone. He's not even thinking logically. How can I do this to my friend who's loyal to me? But you know what? He does think about this guy, you know. He writes his death warrant and gives it to Uriah. And Uriah just takes it from his king. The loyal servant puts it in his pocket and he says, King, I'm going to Joab. He's going to do that to him. David, what happened to your sense of discretion and decision? It's gone, taken from you. Watch out, saints, for those sins which are lurking. And you know what it is. Each one of us has one. For sure, I know what is mine. And I tremble. Tremble. Is what the flesh does... The questions present themselves as, is what the flesh desires really sin in this case? <laughs> he is Hittite, Baba. He's not even an Israelite. I can take his wife. You come up with justifications to cover up your sin. Hmm. 
is not really not and is it not really permitted me yes expected of me now here in my particular situation to appease my desire it is here that everything within me rises epic rises up against the word of god so what should i do <laughs> dietrich bonhoeffer says fantastic he says therefore bible teaches us in the times of temptation and the flesh there is one command what is that flee run for your life flee fornication flee idolatry flee youthful lust flee the lust of the world there is no resistance to satan in lust other than flight every struggle against lust in one's own strength is doomed to failure that is dietrich one of our in temptation Chuck Swindle sums it up in a beautiful way. You know what it says? It's impossible to lust and run at the same time. So run. Flee. Mutually exclusive. What is your besetting sin? What is that which traps you? One of the things that will keep you from sinning is to rehearse the consequences of your actions. Rehearse them. Rehearse what will happen if I commit that. But the problem is, at that moment, your sense of, what do you call, log- rationality is completely taken away. Don't even take a chance there. But rehearse, because you know, you, you know when you rehearse the consequences, when you are not sinning, rehearse. Okay? You run the race, but the preparation is not the race. Preparation is somewhere else. You prepare off-season. That's exactly what happened to Dimitrov, by the way. I just came, watched the Australian Open. New guy came, McDonald, Mackenzie McDonald. Five-setter in a second round match. Five-setter in a second round match and the five-sets goes to eight-six. A rookie comes and almost gives him a run for his money. You know why? I believe he got a little complacent after he got the ATP World Tour. Some people are looking at me as if you're, it's okay, don't worry. That is Dimitrov. Okay. Don't get complacent. Don't get complacent about your sin. Rehearse the consequences because the Bible is full of, full of examples. You know, I, I remember Chuck Swindle, I believe he's the one who had this incredible experience. Um, uh, when he was in Canada, he was, he was in for a conference and he was, uh, he was a speaker, he was a main speaker for the conference. And after the talk is over, in the evening he's come, he comes back to his uh, hotel room and he goes to the, to the, to the, to the TV area. He wants to watch some football, but nothing is coming on television. So he says, let me just go home and rest and take some time off and prepare myself for tomorrow. So he enters into the lift. He's very, okay, quite middle-aged and elderly guy, okay, 50 years old approximately. He enters into the lift and the moment he enters into the lift, two young women enter along with him into the lift and the lift door closes and he goes and he presses the sixth floor and the girls don't respond and he says "Uh, ladies which floor and they say six is fine and you know what he says suddenly I thought I was Tom Cruise but the moment that thought came to my mind, one verse my mother taught me when I was a kid, I just completely blacked out and this verse came into my mind. God is not mocked. 
Whatsoever a man sows, that also will he reap. Pang. Again, brightness. He looks at them and he says, No, thank you, ladies. I have sufficient trouble at home. And he gets out of the lift. Close calls. Sin ready for us. Besetting sin. It will lurch behind every door and you'll see that. I mean, think about our generation, no? You don't even have to go to a club anymore. It's there right in your computer. One click away. So, rehearse the consequences of your actions, saints. It will keep you from sinning. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 7. Now therefore listen to me my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded. And all who were slain by her were mighty men. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it ironic? That when David hears the words of that Saul and Jonathan have, have been killed. You know what he says? How the mighty have fallen. Does he, does he not say that? He says how the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have fallen. Three times. And now this mighty man is felled by a beautiful woman. That is the reason why scripture warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Watch out for your sin this year. 2018, if it is a year of destiny, your sin will trouble you. Conquer it. Be warned. First Peter chapter 4, how do we, how do we, how do we? Get rid of this. This is again, the answer is looking unto Jesus, right? First Peter chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same method of thinking. Say, same mind. For who has, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that you no longer should invest the rest of your time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. What did Christ do? How did Christ suffer? Okay, how did Christ do? Hebrews chapter 5. Who in the days of his flesh, who when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. He said, Lord, Lord, I'm weak, I'm weak, I'm weak. We don't say, Lord, I'm weak, I'm weak. You know what we say? We say, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, Lord. Deliver us from the evil one. Lead me not into temptation. I'm not strong. I don't even want to take chances with it. Finally, let us run with endurance. Okay? It's a long obedience in one single direction. Oh, it's doing the same thing over and over and over again. And ask God that you will never get bored with Him. Ask God for that grace this year. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12 to 13. And because iniquity shall abound, what will happen? The love of many shall wax cold, but he who shall endure to the end shall be saved. It is a matter of the heart getting cold towards God. Guard your heart. 
Guard your, how do you guard your heart? I'll tell you how you guard your heart. Scripture gives us the interest, in, very interesting answer. Psalm 119 verse 32. I will run the course of your commandments. Why? Because you have enlarged my heart. Remember that verse in Romans chapter 5? We also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulations works patience or endurance. Work patience works Genuine character or proven character and character develops or brings about hope and hope will never be put to shame. You know why? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Ask God to enlarge in your heart this year. Enlarge in our heart. He can enlarge it. And then you will run your race. Look unto Jesus. Ask God for a large heart, saints. What do you mean by large heart? Every commandment you need a large heart. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Large heart. Seventy times seven. How much should I give to the church? Ten percent? Large heart. <laughs> Just give me examples. Large heart. It's a matter of your heart, saints. And that is the prayer that I want to pray for all of us this year. May the Lord direct our hearts to love God and for the patience waiting of Christ. Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We have so many things to be said, Lord. But, Lord, I believe the word that you have implanted into our hearts. I pray, Father, that we will receive it with meekness the implanted word, and let it bear fruit in our lives. Father, we will watch every weight. Grant us the grace to that end. And we will watch the sin that so easily ensnares us. And we will run with endurance. The race that you have specifically and uniquely marked for each one of us. And we will encourage one another in the path. Grant us large hearts to that end, we pray. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.